So two months ago, on May 31st, we affirmed together that the psalmists, the prophets, the gospel writers, the disciples, and Jesus Christ himself all point to Jesus as the head of his church. And see, so we know that since 1812, Four Mile Church is and has always been in good hands. Through it all, the Lord has entrusted the leadership of this church to elders and pastors. And by God's grace, Cami has served as our interim pastor for the past two months. The elders would like to thank Cami, as well as Tyler, Courtney, Abby, Marcy, and Rick for their faithful and dedicated service to Four Mile, especially through this transition process. The past couple of months would never have gone so smoothly without their hard work, dedication, and faithfulness to Christ's calling. We are very blessed to have such an awesome team here at Four Mile. It's with great joy and to the praise of God's steadfast faithfulness to us during this transition process that we get to add to that team today as we welcome David Lyle as our new lead pastor, effective today. Over the past six months, the elders and staff have been able to interact with and begin to get to know David more and more, and I can confidently say that with every interaction, we have only ever grown more assured that he is, in fact, just the man that God has prepared and called to lead us into our next season of faithful ministry. We are excited to, for you to get to know David and Jen and their family as we continue to take our next steps toward Christ together and go and make fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ here in Beaver County and beyond. We can't wait to see what God has in store next. David, welcome to Four Mile. Well, it's so great to be here. Thank you for the warm welcome. We're very excited to join the team and be a part of what God has been doing at Four Mile Church for some 209 years. If you think about that, that is really humbling. 209 years to step up after all the tremendous people who have led this church before. So thank you for that. Also, just want to thank everybody for the many prayers over the last couple of months. This is a season of transition that all of us are going through. Obviously, there's a transition in pastors here at this church, but it seems like our whole society is transitioning through different phases of pandemics and political cycles and everything else. And then, of course, just churches always seem to be in transition. So thank you for those prayers. Keep them coming. We just need to be praying together. It's also a, a really a, an important reason why we need to know who we are. And that's something that Cami has done just a terrific job laying out for us the last couple of weeks. First, we are a church with a vision to reach the tri-state region and beyond, making fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we do that by taking our next steps towards Christ together, day by day. This isn't just something we do on Sundays, it's something we do every single day of the week. And second, it involves every single one of us here in this room. Every one of us is called to this church to carry out this mission, warts and all. And that's why at Four Mile Church, it is okay to not be okay. All of us are in process at some level or another. We just don't wanna stay in that not okay place, which is why we have the third thing, 
We love you enough to tell you the truth. And that's the truth in the person, words, and works of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And sometimes that truth gets a little uncomfortable. In fact, we're going to hit an uncomfortable truth today in the sermon. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. And you know, when I had family and friends ask me, what's your first sermon going to be? And I said, well, it's going to be on the fear of the Lord. I mean, where else would you start? And they're like, come on, man. Like, you got to go a little lighter than that. I'm like, oh, no. You don't know this church. They're all about the hard stuff. In fact, they're always focused on the fundamentals. So, in the words of Coach Lombardi and Chef Cami, ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. And this football reminds us of the importance of those fundamentals. And today's fundamental on a fear of the Lord, it's one of those fundamentals that shapes our view of God and it shapes our view of ourselves. So let's go before him in prayer and ask his help on the message today. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. And what we have not, grant us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, cut us to the heart today. Convict us of this word that you have for us. For Jesus' sake, amen. The scripture for today is from Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So, you know, we do a lot of important things in church each week but probably nothing more important than reading scripture. So thank you for reading for us today, Tegan. So I wanna start out with a question that we all need to answer. It's a very personal question. And so I want you to think about it from your perspective, but I also want you to think about how you might use this question later in the week. Because when we come to church, we don't just wanna be consumers of the word, we wanna be producers too. And this is a great question to ask a coworker or someone sitting next to you at a soccer game. Ask them, do you fear God? Now that's a question we're gonna wrestle with today. And I wanna start with a spectrum of six or so responses that we might hear. First, I don't fear God. I doubt he even exists. And data shows this is an increasing trend in our society these days. Next, I don't fear God, I can do it on my own. And this is clearly something our culture teaches, right? It's all about me. Next, I don't fear God, God is kind and he loves me. There's nothing to fear. And that's a distortion of truth that has crept into our church these days. Fourth, I don't fear God, we're partners. I do my part, and he does his. And that's yet another mischaracterization of truth. Fifth, I'm afraid of God. His ways are harsh and demanding. 
And some of us has, have grown up in traditions where we've been taught that. And that can be a tough thing for us to deal with. And then six, I fear God. I tremble at his awesome sovereignty and goodness. And I hope this is what we will see spring forth from Scripture today. Now, depending on the translation that you use of Bible, the words fear of the Lord appear some 27 times in Scripture. And more broadly, the topic of fearing God appears about 84 times. And yet, despite the many references in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's sometimes referred to as the forgotten doctrine. And that's probably because we have a gospel message of grace and a loving Father. And so it's very easy for us to focus on the comfortable stuff and skip over that stark fundamental truth that got us here in the first place, that we must first fear Him. Now let's take a look at both Old Testament and New Testament Scripture to see how God teaches us this truth about fearing him. This passage up here is what Tegan read for us this morning. This is after Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk the earth, turns around in the book of Ecclesiastes the question of the meaning of life. And after he's turned it back and forth, he lands on this at the very end of that book. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Now let's also move forward to the New Testament. We'll move on the heels of Acts chapter 2 that Cammie's been preaching on for the last two months. And let's look at what the church looked like right after Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So not only is it important for us individually to have a fear of the Lord, we must also corporately as a church. So now let's break down this fear of the Lord thing. There's two words, fear and the object of the fear, which is Lord. Now, the word fear in the original language is yura, and it has five main descriptions. The first is terrifying, and the second is exceedingly dreadful. Now, is that how you view God? Do you view him with terror and dread? Well, let's take a look at the next three. Awesome, respect, and reverence. Okay, we're a little better with those three, aren't we? But here's the thing. We don't get to pick and choose the words that make us feel better. We have to deal with all five of these descriptors because there's elements of each word that come together to give us a more important and more complete meaning and understanding of this word fear. Now, to appreciate these five descriptors we walk through, let's take a look at the object of the fear, which is God. We must have a proper understanding of who God really is. And I can assure you that you're going to get sick and tired of hearing about this from me. This is something I just near and dear to my heart because I don't think we can be reminded enough of who God really is and who we really are. 
Because if you're like me, your ego, your pride, your focus on self, and all those other things that cause sin in our lives, they distort our view of God. So get used to this image up here. Because to me, this image reminds us that God is sovereign. He is in complete control of absolutely everything. So much so that he can even grant us free will and never even surrender an ounce of his sovereignty. He is all present, all powerful, all knowing. If you want something to reflect on during response time, just think about those three characteristics. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. And when he creates, he doesn't spend a lot of time building things with his hands. He just speaks it into existence. He says, let there be light, and there's light. That stuff inside of us, like love, courage, humility, fear, all that stuff, yep, he created that too. From the complexity of our universe to the complexity of our humanity, he designed and he sustains it all. And yet as immense and powerful as he is, he also wants a personal relationship with his people. So when we see God from this perspective, it's clear why words like awesome, reverence, and respect apply. But we can also start to begin to see why words like terror and dread might also apply. Because Almighty God is simply overwhelming to us. Check out what Job says. But God is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. So we see Job using the exact same two words. And you guys are like, well, this is getting pretty heavy in here. But there's another feature of God that we must also appreciate. He's good. He's the very definition of love. He's perfectly holy. He's the very author of truth. In fact, that light he created, it travels at 299,792,458 meters per second. And do you know why? Because he said so. So again, we can see why we might fear him in the sense that we're in awe or respect or revere his goodness. But then how does terror and dread square with God's goodness? That's a harder one. So I had to turn to John Piper. He's always got the answer. This is how he puts it. God is so powerful and so holy and so awesome that you would not dare to run away from him, but only run to him. It's the way we come to Jesus. We come to God reverently, humbly, with a contrite heart. Or as Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. C.S. Lewis also portrays this truth 
in the Chronicle of Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You're probably familiar with this. These four brothers and sisters go into a closet, they disappear into this land of Narnia, and this witch kidnaps Edmund, and the other three brothers and sisters go looking for him. And they happen across Mr. Beaver, who takes them to a safe place, and they're explaining their predicament. And Mr. Beaver says, well, I know who can help you, Oslin the lion, who typifies Jesus. And then one of the girls, Susan, asks, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver responds, safe? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So do you see how these descriptors for fear help us gain a more complete understanding of how we must approach God? A healthy fear of the Lord involves elements of respect, reverence, and awe, but also elements of terror and dread. Now let's turn to three ways in Scripture that we learn about what the fear of the Lord is. You know, pastors love to mine language and go deep into things, but it's really cool when you just look in Scripture and it says the fear of the Lord is this, and it does it three times. So we're just going to look at those today. Made it easy on me this morning. The first one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the point here is that it's the first step. It's where it starts. It's foundational, meaning we can't get there without first starting here. It humbles us. It puts us in the right frame to gain wisdom about who God is and how God operates. Now, why do we want wisdom? Well, Solomon describes the value of wisdom for us. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. In other words, the fear of the Almighty is where our grasp of God's sovereignty and his goodness begins. So it all starts by being focused and appreciating on God's goodness. Now the second one, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. So while we appreciate God's goodness, we must also hate the evil. Because God is so holy, he can't be in the presence of evil. We can't love God and be okay with evil. We must hate it. We see these words in both the Old and New Testament. They're very important words for us to grasp because we begin to see the importance that our God is a consuming fire. It says, worship the Lord God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He destroys when his holiness is maligned. And this, again, speaks to that terror and dread. You see, we're never to take him casually. I think it's why, as believers, we find it so offensive when somebody takes the Lord's name in vain. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but it drives me nuts. It really gets under my skin. And as most of you know, I spent 30 years in the Army, and the Army has this culture of cussing. They're really good with swear words. Um, some people perfected the art. They can use it as a noun, a verb, an adjective, an adverb, and sometimes all in the same sentence. It's really quite amazing. Well, I had a guy that I worked with one time who not only could do that really well, but he could also sprinkle in the Lord's name throughout all of this, these expletives. And one time we were on a trip 
doing a briefing, and he's thundering away, dropping GD bombs everywhere. And one of the senior people in the room reached over and grabbed him on the arm and said, knock it off. And on the way home, we talked about that. And he's like, what was that guy's problem? What's a big deal? I was like, you don't get to do this. You don't get to malign the name of the creator and sustainer of the universe. It offends us. It's kind of like how David must have been. You know, he's a young boy, he's out tending to the sheep, and he comes to check on his brothers. And there's this Philistine, Goliath, taunting the Lord's army. And David's like, you don't get to do that. And it infuriates him to the point, he, gets, he grabs some rocks, and by the Lord's help, obviously, he takes that giant out. Is that us? Do we hate evil the way God does? Because a healthy fear of God will manifest itself in despising evil. So now we've appreciated the good, we despise the bad, and we get the third thing. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. Fountains are a source of something. They're the origin, say water. When you find the source, you've struck gold. You can't do a whole lot with a puddle, but if you have a spring or a well, you're in business. So just like we need water as the source of our physical life, the fear of the Lord is the source of our spiritual life. And I don't know if you can still stand to watch the news these days, I know it's a challenge, but everyone out there is trying to figure out what's gone wrong. And you really don't need to look any further than this. Our fountain is drying up. We just don't feel fear the Lord anymore as a culture. And I'm not making a political, cultural, or social argument here. You'll never hear that from me. This is biblical. When you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord, there is no accountability. We become confused between what's right and what's wrong. Anything goes. We begin to believe the consequences don't even matter anymore. We stop hating evil. Sin doesn't even bother us, even though that's exactly what separates us from God. The fountain dries up. Fear of worldly things takes over. But when you have a healthy fear of the Lord, something amazing happens. That fountain transforms the fear. Remember how I said fear of the Lord shows up some 84 times in Scripture? Well, guess what? Fear not appears 365 times. So what are we supposed to make of this seeming paradox? On the one hand, God says, fear him. On the other hand, he says, fear not. Well, normally we resolve paradoxes by go going up to God's level. So we must remember, God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. And it pleases him in his goodness that once we have a healthy fear of the Lord, we need, fear, we need not fear anything else. It's all over the Bible. Check this verse out. I'm sure it's familiar to many of you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, we gain wisdom. We hate evil. We're supplied by the fountain of life, 
and we no longer have anything else to fear because God is with us. He strengthens us. He helps us. And once we know him and accept him, his presence is in us. Let's take a look at one final New Testament scripture reference that helps show how God conquers this fear for us. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, it's God's perfect love. It's his goodness that washes away all of our fears of everything else. As John explains, fear ultimately has to do with punishment. That's that terror and dread component. But there is no punishment in Christ. God loves unconditionally, no matter what we've done. He sent his son to die for us, to free us from sin and its dreadful eternal punishment. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide and comfort us. Remember Acts 9, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. You see, when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, there's nothing else to fear. What's the worst that can happen? Death? Now, I'm not making light of death. It's a thing. We all face it. Most of us go through seasons in our lives where it becomes more real to us. And this pandemic has certainly helped us as a world confront it. But if we have a healthy fear of the Lord, death really isn't much of a threat anymore, is it? Because of Jesus, we'll be in the presence of God's glory for all eternity when we die. And it really just doesn't get any better than that. And this truth really does provide tremendous comfort as the Holy Spirit ministers it to us. You know, when you prepare a sermon like this, you always preach to yourself. And one story from my childhood keeps coming back, and I'll end with this. My dad was a college coach when I was growing up, so he was a disciplinarian by nature. And he instilled a healthy fear of what might happen to me if I crossed him. And as a young boy, the fear of punishment is what kept me accountable. There was a standard, and I needed to meet it. But as I grew up, I began to realize this discipline was out of his love for me. So I didn't rebel against it. I respected it. And one Saturday evening, I was hanging out with some friends in high school, and one of them had the brilliant idea to go in some back alley way of our main street of town and scale a, a fire escape and get up on the roof and he had a backpack and I'm sure there were some fun things we were planning to throw off that, off that roof onto people and cars and whatever else. And so my friends, they start up this fire escape and I was the last one and I got up maybe two rungs and something in me just said, don't do it. So I dropped back down and I started to walk away and one of them who had made it to the roof is like, hey man, get up here. And I was like, no, nah, I'm out. And I just kept walking. And they all knew my dad. He'd coached most of them before. And so one of them shouted, what are you afraid of what your old man's going to do to you if you get caught? And you know, I certainly had a sense of that because I was still in high school. 
But the more I've thought about that and the more I've reflected on it, you know, I wasn't near as afraid of what my dad would do to me if I was caught as I was of what it would have done to my dad if I'd have done that. It would have been such a slap in his face. It would have maligned his authority and been a rejection of his love. And that's exactly what we do to God when we don't fear him. We malign his authority. We reject his love. How could we do anything but love and obey him after all that he's done for us? It's kind of ironic, isn't it? The more we fear him, the closer we're drawn to him, and the safer we are. So that pit in our stomach that many of us walk around with, maybe you even brought it with you today, the worry, the stress, the worldly fears, you can let it go. We only have one thing to fear, and that is the Lord God Almighty. And in his presence, all our fears are washed away. So that's a fundamental truth that we want to stay focused on this week. And we're going to keep this football thing going. Um, I don't think Cammy would let us not. So I'm going to pass this off to Ryan. You're going to catch this, right? Whoop, nice. <laughs> and he's got this thing all week. Um, whenever he sees this football, he's going to be praying about this, thinking about fear of the Lord. Bring it back next week. That means you've got to come to church next week. And don't fumble it during the week, right? No fumbles. All right, great. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, would you use this message and this time of response to convict us that we must fear you and nothing else. May we all walk with a healthy fear of you, Lord, and in the comfort of your Holy Spirit so that we might experience the joy of your salvation throughout the tri-state region and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, our response time the last couple of weeks has focused on baptism. If that's something you feel the Holy Spirit is convicting you on, please come see someone from the staff, one of the elders, me, whoever after church will continue um, to work through that with the church, and that thing isn't going anywhere, so, you know, come see us whenever. But today, our response time is going to focus on the other sacrament, which is communion. So I invite you to use this time to quiet your heart, and to respond to however the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning. And then we'll come together and commune around the Lord's table.
welcome to the Lord's table. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we humble ourselves in your presence. Our sin is ever before us, reminding us of our need for a Savior. You are our God, and we are your people. You sent your Son to be our Savior, dying on the cross for our sins, establishing this new covenant that we now live under. Lord, we are not worthy that you should come under our roof, but speak the words only, and our souls shall be healed. Amen. As we gather at the foot of the cross, we're reminded that there's never been the forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Under the new covenant, Christ's blood serves as the means to our forgiveness. Before the Lord went to the cross where his blood was shed for us, he had a meal with his disciples, instituting communion between God and his people for all time. On the night of his betrayal, our Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord Jesus until he comes again. Amen. Amen.